Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500 with available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse... Whoops, sorry. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, war. War, 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 war. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 241. Prologue to Earth War. Published July 1978. Written by Paul Levitz with art by James Sherman. Synopsis. Negotiations with the Dominators are going badly. Can the Legion stave off an intergalactic war? So we've got a really pair of interesting issues this week, Matthew, and uh, I think the thing that is most interesting about it is that Paul Levitt seems to have finally cracked how to tell a multi-part story. <laughs> to some degree, it feels like Levitt has built up a lot of these weird little side stories and characters specifically so he could tell this story. And I'm, 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 I do agree with you, but I'm wondering if it was a question of he finally figured it out or he's been playing a long game all along and there just hasn't been enough continuity for us to notice until now. Well, no, I think there's been plenty of continuity under Levitz's um, guide, but every time that we've seen a multi-parter, either the second part has nothing to do with the first part or it's tangentially connected, or uh, in the case of what we saw in the last episode, we don't get the second part. <laughs> yeah, the old Carrie Bates switcheroo where it's like, oh my God, what's going to happen next issue? And then you're like, we, we have no idea what this is. This has not, nothing to do with that. But well, we 241 do. brings yeah. back an old foe, actually several, and really ties into stuff going back a dozen, 15, 16, 17 issues and puts it all together into Earth War. Yeah, prologue to Earth War is what we get here. Uh, mm-hmm. And what I think is is interesting in this is that, yeah, you're right. We do see the return of the um, of the Dominators, which we haven't seen in a long time. Now, these aren't the Dominators with the big yellow heads and, and the dots on their on their foreheads. Uh, these yes, are the ones are. from uh, an alternate dimension. <laughs> these are the Dominators that we saw way back in the Adventure Days. They're just not yet drawn the right that way yet. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are the ones from an alternate dimension where you actually have to phase into another dimension to have interactions with them. And they're going to take a small planetoid, um, a constructed planetoid, a Death Star, if you will. And they're going to uh, phase into this alternate dimension to where they can have multiverse or interdimensional peace talks. And they're very worried that the peace talks are going to break down, that somebody or something is going to tear the talks apart. And so a bunch of the Legion members are assigned to go and keep the peace at the conference. Uh, Just like you see anytime you see a big peace conference kind of thing going on. Everyone's worried about security. And if one thing falls apart, the entire galaxy is going to go to war. And uh, we also see in this issue that the Legion seems to be stretched to kind of an extreme. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, there's like nine members who don't appear and they refer to them as being off on some sort of mission. But we don't know what that mission is. And we get to a point where, you know, the team leader is off on a mission. So Element Lad is theoretically, you know, second in command, but... There's like four or five legionnaires just missing and shrinking violet pops up in this issue for a split second and then doesn't do anything. So I'm not sure about the whole stretched thing so much as maybe there's just a lot of people unaccounted for. Well, and I think that they, they do do a long panel of all the members and, and I think it's Brainiac is talking about where everyone is at. And, you know, he's talking about like Tyrock and Superboy and somebody else are off doing something else. And, you know, they, he's kind of he's kind of Where is down. Tyrock, by the way, because Superboy and Karate Kid are described as being on detached duty, which means we're stuck in our solo books in the 20th century. But Tyrock is just like gone. Where where's Tyrock? He is fighting the good fight, I am sure. <laughs> like every strong black man in the 1970s was. Ah, so uh, that is that is your answer to that then it seems like we might be ripe for a whole new, uh, you know, trial period. Let's let's have some Legion tryouts coming up so we can at least get 10 new members coming on board in the near future to, uh, number one, get rid of all the characters that Paul Levitt's like, uh, dislikes, see Tyrock above, and right. uh, bring in characters or new creations that he does like. We're only about 10 issues from Block, so, you know. I mean, this is a good reason for doing that. Also, this issue has a moment where it, first of all, it opens with that gorgeous shot of uh, Monel, Ultra Boy, Wildfire, and Dawnstar just screaming into outer space, literally mm-hmm. just flying out of the headquarters. But Wildfire wipes out an SP ship and just leaves it to crash. Yeah, he's busy, man. They should have gotten well, out of his way. That's that is a jerk move, and oh, Monel, yeah. most, most Monel certainly. was able to save the ship and still keep up with them. Well, he did have granted. to say he had to put on some extra power in order to keep keep up. Right, but the person them. that Wildfire almost killed turns out to be Siobhan Aaron, an important supporting member of the cast in her first appearance. Yeah, this is her first appearance, and that is, that is interesting because she comes uh, becomes what like a liaison uh, for mm-hmm. the Legion, kind of replacing uh, good old man. Um, uh, what's, his, what's his face? No, no, no. Um, oh, uh, Marla? Marla, yeah. To some degree, yeah. She ends up being the liaison to the science police, especially in the uh, second iteration of the Legion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she actually not only appears here, she mentions uh, Chief Zendak, 
of the who would become an important member of the science police and the supporting cast. So Zendak isn't getting a first appearance here, but his first mention pops up in this issue. There's a lot of firsts popping up, including the Death Star. Almost like people are planning ahead with their storyline. It's almost right. like people understand that this comic book series is important. It's almost like, hey, man, let's get a plan and move forward with this because Marvel is kicking our butts with their ongoing interconnected stories. Maybe we should try to do something like that. It's definitely a possibility. I mean, we also, we see um, Ambassador Relnick again, who we have seen before back in mm -hmm. 225. Mm -hmm. uh, the last appearance of the Resource Raiders. Hmm. The Resource Raiders go back quite a while. Uh, yep. They're those uh, kind of like bug-eyed dog monsters. Dog-eyed bug monsters. And the one that had a really horrible ending. I, I remember when we read it, remember they just go into this panel and it's this huge yep. underground complex with a giant floating brain. And then the next page is, and we beat them. And it's like, And what? they exploded. Yeah, the, the brain just blew up. So uh, the brain is back, by the way, in this issue, and he lets us no, know it's, that that it's wasn't not. really him. That's what I'm saying. It really wasn't the brain. So this is the first appearance of the real brain, not that <laughs> fake brain that they were using in the previous episode. Uh, right. So, you know, there's a lot of really good back and forth. I, I want to say that this is a great example of parallel storytelling, where on one page you're telling one thing and then you'll do what would we would call in a in a uh, in an editing sense, like a content edit or something where you go right into the next page where something's exploding, although it's not the something that's exploding in the previous uh, storyline. Right. But it's now we're on uh, uh, Geographica Galaxia and um, and something is exploding there and people are doing their thing. And I think this is great. If you want to see what parallel storytelling is all about, these two issues, 241 and 242, are an excellent exact example of that. Yes, and as Levitz hits his stride, Sherman, uh, with inker Bob McCloud. Oh my God, I love this art! Right, Sherman just goes nuts, and those in, there's these really great shots throughout where anytime you see wildfire, there's this perfect mirror mm -hmm. shot in his visor, or and, and it's uh, not just it's not just a perfect mirror shot because a perfect mirror shot would just be essentially drawing you know drawing a someone's face on that right, just like right. if you were looking in a mirror. This is a mirrored visor or a reflective visor, we should say, that uh, has defects and it has curves and it has a bent in it in places. So when Sherman is drawing these reflections, he's actually drawing the reflections as they would appear on a um, not perfect surface, yes. which is also very, very cool. I, I think I said it before. If I if I didn't say it the last time I was gushing about uh, Sherman. When I look at his stuff, the thing that I like about it is he doesn't go full anime with big eyes, small mouth. But the right. eyes are larger when he draws them. And I can't help but wonder if the Moys, who will soon take over the Legion uh, in my Legion, uh, if they're not inspired by his work in some way, uh, shape or form, because a lot of the shape and flow and the facial features and hair, just a lot of Sherman style I see in the work that the Moys do. Yeah, and I can see a little bit of it, too, in later uh, Steve Lytle iterations in the late 80s that we're going to get to not too far out. But, yeah, and there is a sequence in 241 with Chameleon Boy and Superboy that is 
uh, just amazing, just beautiful. Superboy is mm-hmm. constantly in motion. You see him smashing things. At one point, it looks like he's moving so fast, it looks like he has four arms. Yeah. And Chameleon Boy is shape-shifting around into a giant dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, just so much fluid movement in this. A beautiful fight sequence. And, of course, you know, they're beating up the snot monsters of the resource raiders. So those creatures, I, I realize in this issue, have three legs. Mm-hmm. Which is really weird, but it's also, you know, really neat to see in action. It's just beautiful sequences. And then Phantom Girl busts in. I'm just like, yes, Phantom Girl. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's the whole thing is really good. We end up finding that the Coons are kind of uh, deciding that they're going to attack Earth in all the chaos and mayhem, especially now that all of the Legion members are off planet. And Mm -hmm. it's nothing. I mean, at this point, we don't know if the Dominators are involved in this or what. But we really get this sense that, oh, Earth is being attacked because they're at a at a weak point. And the big people to do it, of course, are the Coons. And it makes perfect sense. And it's a really, really, really good opening opening chapter into this piece. It's, now, it's kind of a shocking swerve because they set us up with this Dominator thing. Mm-hmm. And then the Coons are in play. And then later we find someone else is in play. And I'm just like, this is galactic. You know, this is war stuff. This is, and I'm wondering, you know, if George Lucas had anything to do with it, since this is also 1978, but this is war in the stars, if you will. And I really, really like just the the huge scale of it all. I prefer to think of this as some kind of giant galactic battle. Mm, galactic battle. It's one of my favorite. TV yeah. Shows. Yeah. Among the stars, perhaps. Right. Yeah, right. that's and so, yeah, no, it's it's really good. One thing that did strike me, though, was as we have seen in the past, we've had a lot of the editors boxes letting us know, you know, the real names of your Legion member is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's like, that's really cool. But this time we get introduced, as I've mentioned a couple of times, the Geographica Galaxia Galaxia uh, states that, um, you know, this uh, this planetoid thing that they're they're using to phase through. And it's yes. like a it's like a it's like a little dictionary of letting you know what's going on now. I think this is the first and only time that this appears in the the Legion uh, stories. And the only thing, because I couldn't find any other references to it online. Uh, but I can't help but wonder if this is some Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. Because you have the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which just is like, oh, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy said the Galactic Revolution happened right. when they lined everybody up against the wall and shot them dead. You know, these kinds of the things. The Encyclopedia Galactica. De- yeah, yeah, I remember that. And and I can't help but wonder about that. But the, the, the timing would be off just a little bit because the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy debuted on BBC Four in March of 1978. That would have been right about the same time this would have hit the stands. So I don't know if Levitz would have had or heard access uh, to that episode. You know, if he was happened to be in, you know, in London or somewhere listening on a shortwave to this and and picked it up and heard it. Um, He would have had to have listened early in the morning because um, Hitchhiker's Guide debuted as one of the last shows of the day when it first Mm -hmm. debuted, which really kind of upset Douglas Adams a little bit. But and, and then the other thing is. The Hitchhiker's Guide radio drama, which is before the books, before the TV show, before the movies, all of that stuff. Right. Um, it didn't debut until NPR here in the United States until 81. So this right. is just one of those weird things where, you know, the zeitgeist of everything going on in the world is trying to explain, um, you know, it just happened to coincide with everything. And I yeah. don't know what what's going on there, but it just felt very Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy uh, to me. 
I would agree. I don't know about the specific term Geographica Galactica appearing, but we do see this sort of thing, this sort of caption box recurring. And I think it eventually becomes the recurring Legion Omnicom feature, which then sort of changes into something else. And by the time we get to the, you know, the modern day Legion as of 2021, literally has in universe built in caption boxes floating around with the heroes to explain their home planets and, you know, their names and their origins. And so it's interesting to see it sort of starting here for the first time with that almost metatextual take of, and then this happens and here's the definition of it. I really like that. I feel like that's better than just a caption box. This is like in universe narration. Yeah. And it's, it's neat to see it, especially with, you know, Weber's world is something that it's not super yeah, Weber's world. but it yeah, does that's what I was thinking. popping up over and over and over. Weber, Weber's world first appears in this issue and goes on to become kind of one of those recurring cornerstone points of continuity. Yeah. I think at one point in the volume four Legion, they're actually operating off of Weber's world or near Weber's world. So, so how long has Levitz been writing the Legion at this point? Oh, a couple of years now, I'd want to say. I'm I'm going to go with, I really need to go with this idea that he is starting to figure out how to tell a big multi-part story, especially because this has a wonderful cliffhanger. This is just, you know, the sudden realization. And I don't know how long the Earth War uh, bits go on, if if it's only a three-parter or what. It's a, a five-parter. Five-parter, great, because, again, we haven't seen five-part storylines. We haven't seen major arcs that carry over multiple issues. And I cannot help but wonder, again, if this isn't a confluence of... He's been writing this for a while. It is one of their more popular books. As I said before, Marvel is just eating their lunch with their interconnected multi-part stories, especially one over on Spider-Man, yeah. uh, which is probably their biggest seller at this point in time is probably Spider-Man. Um, and I just can't help but think that he is starting to borrow. And this is one of the things that was happening during this time period between Marvel and DC is DC would be kind of scratching their head going, what are they doing? Let's try to copy some of these things that Marvel is doing. And oftentimes it exploded in their face in horrible, horrible ways. Uh, but I can't help but think that one of the things that might have come out from going from number one to number two is saying, well, let's see if we can't sell more books by stretching a story over five, six issues. And thus we have the trade paperback, the six issue miniseries, six issue arc being born right about here, at least at DC. If my memory serves, and by memory I mean the interwebs and my superior Google foo, uh, Levitz started in March of 77, so a year earlier than this, on Legion 225. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I'm not right, I'm sure you know people will let me know, but I believe that Levitt's first story was 225 because we, we mentioned Levitt's coming on and talking about uh, they had the mithril dagger in that issue, and that's where Relnick first appeared, uh, Ambassador Relnick. Mm -hmm. So neat. The previous resource Raider story. So, yeah. Yeah. And then we have kind of a stumble in my opinion, because we do get <sighs> a second story in this. I'm totally fine with two stories. I rather enjoy that. Yep. Uh, I think as we're going now, we're getting to the point now where we're hitting the DC uh, implosion. We're well into DC implosion time at, at this point uh, where the head honchos at Warner brothers have said, guess what guys, uh, you need to cut back. And I think they went from 57 issues. I think the 52 ultimately were, were published, but they had planned for 57. And then we start the great contraction. 
And I want to say that there was, they started with 27 in uh, 75 is how many they were routinely publishing. But Mm -hmm. by the time the implosion finished, they were only publishing 26 regular issues. And we are, we are well into that, that point right now where they're starting to say contract and, and cut back on costs, but we still end up with my brother's keeper, which again, Paul Levitz did such a great job in prologue to earth war that when we hit my brother's keeper, we're just kind of like, what is this wall of text that you're trying to kill (laughs) us with? Well, and it's, it's kind of a standard issue backup story from the previous era of the legion and there's nothing necessarily wrong with it in a lot of ways it's it's a good and a well overdue spotlight for light lass who finally gets to shoulder a little bit of the angst about having an evil supervillain twin brother oh and, and her- by the way by the way dear listener if you don't know about light lord if you don't know about the <laughs> about where he came from and how Lightlass could have a villainous uh, older brother, then by gosh, turn the page because you're getting an origin story for Again. the sixth time. Oh I my believe. gosh, I cannot believe that they continue to rehash this origin story again and again and again. Mind, we've covered 20 years of the Legion at this point. So six times of this story means we're getting that origin about every two to three years. And when we started out in the 50s, the expectation was that the whole audience aged out every two or three years. But yes, we do get the Lightning Lord, Lightning Lad, Lightning Lass origin story. So what happens is they're on planet Corbal, right? And they're attacked by these uh, Lightning Elephants. And ever since then, they've all been able to glow in the dark. Yeah, except for some reason, they used to all have lightning powers, but now Lass does not have lightning powers. She has light powers, but right. not the Green kind of light that comes from lightning. Lightning powers. See, let's get that origin story. Let's retell that again so everyone is clear, because, <laughs> oh, my God, when I hit that, oh, my God, this is another origin story. I was about ready to pull, you know, my brains out of my out of my head through my eyeballs. Because the yeah. last time we got this origin story was when Lightning Lad went to his parents' grave uh, on that little planetoid or yep. asteroid or whatever it was. And um, what's what's the older brother's name? I always forget his name. Rekt, Rekt uh, shows Rekt. up and they have to have a whole other uh, origin story then to say, where does he come from? So I think anytime you see Lightning Lord uh, getting ready to appear in a tale, be prepared to get at least a one page flashback origin story each time that he shows up. Yeah. And I don't know if I'd say it's entirely justified, but it's definitely sort of necessary to give us the backup. I don't know if the whole origin every time is necessary, but you know, this is a story and this is actually my mistake. Um, This is actually written by Paul Kupperberg rather than Paul Levitz. Oh, Uh, okay. But Kupperberg actually did the writing and it's a very young Paul Kupperberg, which you know, young creators do interesting things. So, well, and I think the interesting thing that we get here, there's two interesting things. Number one, this is a buddy cop um, tale, which will, I want to talk more about that in, in, in just a minute. The other thing is, this is a straight up Wolverine story. <laughs> I mean, it, straight it really up. Kind of I mean, and if you look at is... everything that, that uh, he does in this issue, it is just Wolverine, Wolverine, Wolverine. The only thing that's missing is Bub. And this is still pre Wolverine exists at this point and is an X-Man, 
But this is pre the Wolverine story that we're referring to, which once again, you know, shows us exactly how much of Timberwolf ends up being in X-Men Wolverine. But yeah, it's definitely kind of a Ayla does nothing but get kidnapped and lets her boyfriend who, by the way, this may be the closest we've ever seen them. I mean, they're openly schmoopy. He's ready to kill to get her back. And oh, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of an escalation of their relationship. There's a moment where Lightning Lord is like, release me or I shall, what, bleed on me after I pound you to a pulp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hello, Wolverine. Yeah, and so, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so anyway, Timberwolf, and the reason why I say this is a lot of buddy cop uh, kind of stuff, and the buddy cop movie goes back all the way to 1949, for those of you that uh, don't do your internet research, all the way back to Akira Kurosawa's <laughs> Stray Dogs. Uh, but yeah. in the 1970s, the buddy cop genre was really starting to uh, explode and really takes off in the 80s. But in the 70s, we have things like uh, Freddy and the Bean and Busting and Crime Busters and Hickey and Boggs. And for whatever reason, Dirty Harry is listed under buddy cop. And the only reason I can think that it might be is because um, uh, Dirty Harry and then his sidekick, who get, ends up getting shot about halfway through the movie and isn't around anymore, he was uh, Poppy from uh, Seinfeld. Um, the The only reason I can think that Dirty Harry gets listed in the buddy cop, because one of those tropes is, you know, their, their sergeant or the person who's in charge of them is always having a yelling fight with them. I tell you, if you do this, you're going to have to turn in your badge and your gun and all this stuff. I'm tired of this. One more chance as I'm giving you. Get out of my sight, you guys. And there is that moment here because Timberwolf goes up against... Um, uh, the planet's uh, uh, head of security or whoever he is. And he's basically like, look, if you guys get involved in this, I'm throwing you guys in prison. I don't want you to do this. This is my jurisdiction. How dare you come in here? And then sure yeah. enough, uh, uh, Light Last gets kidnapped and Timberwolf goes on a rampage and he gets thrown in jail. And then he rips open the cage and he goes out and he finds, finds Lightning Lord and beats him to a pulp in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I find it I mean, interesting it, that this is uh, an early appearance of Planet Winneth, and we don't see an indication of what would eventually become their alien hat, which is the world of twins. Uh-huh. But we do see an overzealous security goober who flat out refers to two well-seasoned legionnaires as second stringers yeah, yeah. and then puts, puts Timberwolf in jail for doing his job, I thought the Legion had dispensation to operate as law enforcement officers in the United Planets. But this guy is just like, nope, I'm going to lock you up. This and is Timber my is like, jurisdiction. Oh, I don't believe you are. Yeah, this is that whole my jurisdiction thing. Again, one of those tropes in, that we you see a lot in the buddy cops. You're 10 speed in brown shoe and you're yeah, yeah. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. And- nah, this, well, yeah, sure. Um, eh, that's not a buddy cop. That's a buddy. That's a, buddy that's a buddy comedy. Show. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a, one still, of those kind of things. I do like, at what, thing, what so. point though, do we hit, at what point do we hit that, um, that the Rands are, are come from a twin planet? What point do they, they make that up? Uh, I want to say that that is a Levitz thing. That's it going to pop up. Not too far down the line, because I know that by the time we find out that Saturn girl is pregnant, they make a point of saying she's having twins because 
almost everyone on Winneth is a twin. And the reason that Mecht is so emotionally messed yeah. up is that he's not. It's because he ate his twin in the root in the womb. I, I know that it's definitely there by about evil. 1984. So we're not far from it. And I would be surprised if we don't see it in the next, you know, year or so of the book. But I can't remember exactly where it pops up until I get, we're reading a lot of Legion, man. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's cool. Uh, I, I enjoyed I mean, even though this is the lesser. And again, now that you've corrected on the uh, on the writer on this issue, now mm-hmm. I can get around and say, ah, well, OK, this makes complete sense. Why does why does Levitz just knock, you know, knock it out of the park on on this uh, right. on this first installment and then totally stumble at the uh, at the uh, I'm going to mix my metaphor stumble in the at the one yard line in the right. next story. So, yeah, yeah pretty we, interesting. We don't do sports, but it is weird to me the placement of this backup story, too, because the first story is like all hands on deck. All legionnaires are necessary. It's a terrible universe wide conflict. And then we're like, oh, yeah, except for Lightning Lass and Timberwolf, who are like off uh, on a joyride somewhere. Well, and again, going back to what we were talking about with trying to compete with Marvel, mm-hmm. had this been a regular book, part one and part two would have been in the same issue, right? It's True. like chapter two is after the the hostess ad. And um, we're still in the giant size era, the 36 mm-hmm. page Legion era for 60 cents. So, I mean, we're getting to the end of that era because yeah. as you said, the implosion is about to hit everyone, but yeah, yeah, the giant size Legion issues uh, kind of make for a weird balance. Well, but, but again, it makes perfect sense. Let's sell, let's ensure that people keep coming back to this by telling these interconnected stories week after or month after month after month. So there you go. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Want to jump into, I don't, I, I forgot to save one of the tweets that Legion Omnicon um, sent to us. Uh, but this is after, I think, one of the episodes about what happens to... Uh, Karate Kid and and all of those things. Uh, He says that, uh, number one, after Val's appearance in Commandy number 58, it was confirmed in issue number 60, printed only in Cancelled Comics Cavalcade, this happens after the implosion, that the Great Disaster Earth was indeed a different timeline. Yes. He then goes on and says, you'll find out in about three episodes when Karate Kid leaves Commandy, he lands at the end of Earth War where he joins up with the married retired Legionnaires in 244, which will be next episode... Um, only to get put in a test tube in issue 245. Uh, Diamond Death gets cured in 246. Then we don't see her until uh, Brave and the Bold 198. I'm guessing that's B&B is uh, Brave and the Bold yeah, 198. Brave and the Bold. Yeah, so. And then he also had, and I can't find his tweet. I forgot to save it. Uh, he also had some information related to uh, the comic sales at this time, specifically uh, the Legion stuff. And so uh, thanks for always uh, sending along those little factoids. That yep. I will try to retweet when people send those uh, our way. Uh, but uh, definitely thank you for listening and thank you for your continued support. Now, I have a question for you, Matthew. Okay. There is this weird thing at the end of this issue called Magic and the Legion Part 1. And then, mm-hmm. of course, in the next issue, we get Magic and the Legion Part 2. What is this? Is this fan fiction? What is What is this thing? Uh, in the strictest sense, yes. Len Rosenberg is one of the members of an APA, an advanced press association called Interlac, which was sort of the precursor to modern fandom with a little less toxicity. 
Uh, but the Interlac APAs, they would get together, they would talk about the Legion, and they would, you know, mail back and forth. You'd be on a mailing list and you'd get the booklet. It was kind of the precursor to the Legion outpost, um, which I'm not sure if Interlac is the actual print version of, or rather the Legion outpost is the print version of what Interlac would have or vice versa. But I know that they are, you know, interacted. And Len is a big fan of the Legion and he would do uh, what they call filk songs. He would do these parodic songs yeah. about the Legion of superheroes. So he did, uh, he did Joni Mitchell's ladies of the Canyon as ladies of the Legion and he was really a big intrinsic part of this. And since Levitz kind of came out of that and was part of that interlac group, Len's work appears in this issue and in 242, basically giving us kind of the backstory, the analysis of what we've seen to date as far as magic in the Legion of Superheroes. And I kind of love it. I really like the fact that it's, it is a fan who is analyzing the stories that we've seen and talking about the weird magical elements that we've seen in this futuristic Legion world. Things like, you know, Mordru and Misa mm -hmm. and, oh, God forbid, the Luck Lords. Mm -hmm. But you also get, you know, these moments of, and then there's this one strange issue where Element Lad poses as a magician. And it's really neat to see that. I really like the fact that they printed this and that Len got to see his work in the actual book. But I think, and it's been a long time since I've read it, I think that this essay is reprinted in a book called Best of the Legion Outpost. Mm, okay. Um, but yeah, it's one of those moments where you're just like, it's not exactly fan fiction. It's definitely a fan, but he's analyzing the existing fiction. But none of um, this then, anything that he postulates in here doesn't become continuity or anything, does it? Well, it already is because he's just analyzing the stories that uh, okay. he's seen. There isn't really, I mean, there's research here, but there, there is an original research. He's not creating things. So, yeah. And again, he's not you putting know, a hypothesis saying, oh, because of this and this, it must mean this. Exactly. Okay. You know, this is, this is how these things have worked and how it's come to the past. If you look at the Legion outpost stuff, you'll see, um, Mike Flynn and Harry, Harry Birches, whose name I can never pronounce. And you see a lot of these names popping up over and over and over of the people who were huge fans in the sixties and seventies and would write analyses of the Legion, you know, things like should the Legionnaires actually age, especially after that horrific story we had a couple mm -hmm. of episodes ago or yeah. an analysis of, you know, here's a Carrie Bates story. Here's a, a Jim shooter story. How are they different? How are they the same? And, talking about things like we see now, you know, is Dawn star legitimately a legionnaire because she's brand new or how often do you have to appear to be an actual active legionnaire and where the heck is Tyrock and what's wrong with Tyrock and does everybody else hate Tyrock? So yeah, cool. Yeah, All right. Well, there you go. If you guys can read it, uh, go for it. Uh, I got about two paragraphs in and I was like, well, this doesn't seem interesting to me. So I just kind of skipped it and thought we'd talk about it here. So there you go. There you go. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 242, Star Target Earth. Published August 1978. Written by Paul Levitz with art by James Sherman. Synopsis. The Coons are invading the Earth. Can even the Legion stand against them? 
Startar get Earth. Startar get it. Star. No, it's S Tartar get Earth. Oh, S Tartar get Earth. Yes, there right. you go. That's yeah. how they do this. It's not a. That's not a word. Star target. They need. They need to use some spacing Star or some target. kerning or a hyphen or something, because start target is not a word. Star target. It's a made up word. It's like, it's like uh, what do you call a portmanteau? Just say star target Earth. Star Make target. it three words, uh-huh. not start target or star target, because no one's going to get what you say. But again, I- a legit, <laughs> a legit part two. This is not a wimpy. This is not a wimpy tale. This is literally telling about, uh, you know, how the attack is is beginning, you know, how the attack is going wrong. Uh, at one point, you know, the, the the coons are attacking and it's up in space and all the spaceships are attacking other spaceships. And you see this boot, this shredded boot of what you would imagine to be a U.S., uh, you know, or an, uh, an Earth uh, astronaut. Uh, just floating by in the panel and it's all shredded and everything. The only thing that's missing are like little drops of frozen blood coming out there or a bloody stump or something like that. But it, I mean, it's pretty intense when they're, they're talking about how the Kund are literally destroying uh, yeah. this earth and the fact that they're like, earth is doomed, doomed, doomed. And it is just once again, beautiful. We open with another killer opening shot and mm-hmm. It has the important detail, the detail that so many artists forget. You see Wildfire slamming his fist down, and on his finger is his flight ring. He's wearing his flight ring, and so many times you see Legionnaires, you see their hands, there's no flight ring, because you know the flight rings can canonically turn invisible. But, oh, what a beautiful first panel. Another one of those where you see a reflection in Wildfire's visor. Mm-hmm. And everybody's got their game face on. And then we cut to the space fight. Yeah. And, oh, beautiful stuff. Yeah, no, this is this is really good. Especially then when you get into power dynamics that will eventually, I think, build. Again, this is a planting a seed for future uh, stories or future elements of the mm-hmm. Legion, especially when it comes to the leadership, because while wildfire is off dealing with things on the, um, on the uh, diplomacy planet, uh, we get to see element lad who is supposed to be in charge getting overstepped by Brainiac five. And, yes. and here, you know, you have to ask the question. Brainiac five is like, well, I've got the 12th level intelligence and all my calculations point to this. So this is the better way. I'm not wasting time. I'm being efficient. Uh, and so the question becomes, is, is Brainiac 5 really overstepping his bounds here, or is he being super efficient? He's overstepping his bounds. Um, and I say that with full foreknowledge of what's about to happen vis-a-vis Brainiac 5. But yes, he is intentionally... Where he gets exploded? No. He oh. is intentionally overstepping his bounds. Where he becomes the president of the leadership? Will you stop? Legion 242 has the beautiful shot, though, of Element Lad in his Jim Kirk chair. Yeah. You know, being trying to be the everybody's, leader. Everybody's being lit up by their green monitors and everything. It's cool. It really is. And Brainiac, yes, is overstepping. And Brainiac is even to some degree manipulating. One might even say conniving. Uh, but there are things coming up with Brainiac 5 that explain this and really build on it. So he's, this is kind of. He's what being you taken call over it. by the. Uh... This is, this is your foreshadowing. Is, is this where he is uh, really a shapeshifter in disguise? This is your, no. The, you, what do you think? What do you talk about? We don't have any shapeshifters in the Legion. Um, but no, this is, 
your key to quality literature. This is your foreshadowing. This is your story build. And this is your moment where Element Lad, who has kind of been just sort of hanging around, is suddenly very interested in command. Mm -hmm. And that actually becomes a, a core part of his character going forward. I really like how... You were seeing Levitz building on the existing characterization and giving new twists to people. You know, Wildfire has always been a loudmouth, but now Wildfire is just flat out obnoxious. Oh, yeah. And I mean, yeah. No, no, no. You're right. It's, it's really neat to see this. And it's really fun to see, you know, characters like Monel in a team setting still being like, I'm also the most powerful person in the entire galaxy. And I have to do these things that I have to do on my own time. But yeah, it it's one of those issues where I'm just like, man, two in a row, just solid, solid, yeah. triple, triple base hits. These are beautiful issues. Wait, so Brainiac is the one that's behind uh, Star Tardar Get Earth? I'm not going to tell you I, that. I bet he is, because here's what happens. They go to the, the Kund homeworld, and they're beating their way through the Citadel, and finally they get to the Kund leader, and they're like, Kund leader, why are you doing this? And they're like, he's got some kind of weird babel fish in his ear. Let's pluck these things out. And then suddenly the guy's like, oh, when he passes out, and everyone's like, how dare you kill our leader? And they're like, we didn't kill the leader. He's been being manipulated being by, uh, he's being mind-controlled by a, a signal, and it's coming from inside the Legion clubhouse. It's oh. coming from... Weber's world. But oh, it's coming from Brainiac. Oh no. He's doing stop. this as a power play so he can become the okay. the president of the Legion. That's not true. But you know, this is something I mean, else that's that something that that's totally something Brainiac would do though. You are just talking out your face. No. No, I'm saying thing. that Brainiac is that smart to know that even if uh that he could have he could <laughs> trick the coon into attacking Earth and knowing that, yeah, there may be some some damage, but the Legion will fight them back and win in the end. And in the process, I can discredit Wildfire because he wasn't paying attention to the to the real clues that were right in front of us. And Element Lad, well, pff, he's Element Lad, so I'm smarter than him. So I should be this. I'm the one that led this whole thing. Therefore, I should be the leader of the Legion. And everyone's like, oh, that makes sense. Let's all throw a spinning planet at his forehead and see if it sticks. Okay. None of that happens. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying it does happen. I'm saying that Brainiac is that smart enough to where if he really craves leadership. In fact, uh, Element Lad uh, calls him out on this and says, hey, if you want to be leader, maybe next time say you want to be leader. And you see that look in Brainiac's eyes going, yes, yes. Um, so, you know, but I'm saying he's devious enough that he could do something like this and it would make perfect sense. Yes. Okay. So. In this actual issue. And he would get hit by a planet by everybody because they would say, that's right. how we because elect that's, our that's leaders in the Legion. Legion. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, the thing about this issue that is wonderful, uh, and there are it quite a the few. the second story, I can tell you that. You know who the leader of the Kuns is? Um, that guy looks familiar. It's um, Garlack. The leader of the Kund, he's the guy who hired Nemesis Kid oh, right. back in Adventure 346 and sent him to infiltrate the Legion so that the Kunds could overtake the Earth. In the first freaking appearance of the Kunds, this is that same guy. And, you know, again, it's another moment where these little quiet, subtle bits just sort of build to make it feel like it, more than we've ever had. It makes it feel like kind of a whole aligned continuity of the mm -hmm. Legion. And mm -hmm. it's nice to see moments like, you know, the, the psychic earplugs that we use to communicate are back. And you get the moment where we're like, hey, we sure here are on the Weber's world. 
And then the secret dark circle people are watching. But you also do have an important question in this issue, Stephen, and I'm going to posit this to you. If you have a choice of who's the traitor, are you going to trust the friendly old guy that we've seen like three times before or the literal snake? Who who's, the, who's the literal snake on tier? The literal oh, snake. Oh, oh yeah, the 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 lead. So are you yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean he seems to be the one that. Um, what a bad. Yeah, he seems to want to be a little bit on the uh, shady side. I would probably go with him. Uh, I mean, if snake. I can't if I can't pick Brainiac Five, and I can't uh, use something that Wildfire is doing this to show how how great uh, a leader he is, so that Dawnstar will fall even more in love with him. Uh, then I, then I guess is, I would go with Lizard Man. What he's putting down too. I know, which because is weird in because this it's issue, all that... we start to see her getting mad when somebody badmouths Wildfire. And I mean, compared to the previous episode that we recorded, where she's like, "No, I'm not having any of your crap, man. Get away from me, you creep." Uh, yep. This seems like a real flip flop. Now, again, knowing that that story previously took place. Right. Was a flashback. Was a flashback moment. Um, then, you know, maybe there's been some time for her to come around. But back to back, it just feels really weird to see it, her suddenly be like, ooh, he is quite the hot hero. It really Literally. does feel like some PUA nonsense where, like, he's negged her enough that she's finally into him. And thankfully, I don't think that's the case or the intention, although it is, you know, 70s writing. And unintentionally, we do get some sexism from a 70s level that would not fly today. But. I really feel like it's neat to see that subtle build of he's being nice to her. He's she's realizing that he's not a jerk. He's just a bag of energy and slowly warming because, you know, you know he's yeah, he's energy. And he's also he's energy. probably uh, quietly seeping out. Uh, he's probably got a leak in his suit. Oh, and she's inhaling it all. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she's, so, she's going to have mesothelioma by the end of the month. I love the heck out of this. I'm going to enjoy every part of uh, Earth War. Uh, yes. Just because it's it's so it's so fascinating. I yes. Unless it has just a super flat ending that just falls on its face. I hope it gives us the illusion of ch change that Stan Lee always was doing over at, uh, at Marvel uh, because, oh, my gosh, the first two parts of this are great and are just here's a reason why, you know. In all of the last 12 uh, episodes, we've got a lot of stinker issues, but yeah. this is these are two issues that I could give to somebody and say, here you go. These are great in, uh, examples of and I probably take the whole Earth War. This is a great example of how to tell a story. Yes. The and Earth then I would say, listen, don't read the final backup story in 242 <laughs> because it's really bad. Just ignore that. It's not really bad, but once again, it's a bad match with the first half of the story. Again, it's Copperbird working off a of Levitt's plot. Uh, Arvel Jones is a good artist. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah, it it feels a little frivolous because we have this first story of intergalactic war and everyone is in danger and uh, terrible things are happening and you know the killer is in the house and then the second story is like four female legionnaires going out for a night on the town. and it's Which I don't have any problem with that. It's just, again, I, the walls and walls of text that we run into in this piece. The fact that, you know, the, who's it, the Colonel Science Police guy or whoever is the one behind it. Yeah, you know, there's some real interesting bits into this where uh, this floating restaurant that flies all over. Uh, Millie Earth, Ways. Yeah, Millie Ways, yes. Uh, doesn't well, it does come up in the first in the first uh, radio play, but 
you know, they're they're doing this whole thing. A bunch of uh, kidnappers come on board and say, you must acquire three items for us or we kill everyone here. And <laughs> and then they go about and do do their thing, including bringing back a shrubbery. But uh, at one point, they've got the projections and Princess Projectra uh, does do her thing where the, the bad guys think that they have tied up the real members of the Legion uh, and they're, you know, fine. But then the the female Legionnaires are coming out from behind a curtain dressed in their costumes. And that doesn't make any sense because are they always wearing their costumes under their cocktail dresses or what's going on with that? Because it just is like suddenly they emerge and they're in their full get up. It's just like, ah, I'm, I'm going to check out of this story right about there and not read any further. Well, I mean, I did read further, but it's just like, no, thanks. Well, if you look closely at uh, n- uh, Night Girl, this is not Night Girl. This is Shadow Lass. Shadow Lass's uh, cocktail dress is literally a skirt over her costume. Mm. Um but yeah, I think it's a Clark Kent thing, and I feel like it's another one of those artifacts that it's a young storyteller. And in comics, you just hey, Clark Kent rips open his shirt and then he's Superman. Yeah, you you can't necessarily do that in a Legion context, but he still tries to pull it off. And it's nice to see Dream Girl and Light Lass and Projectra, who we haven't seen in months anywhere other than as you know Karate Kid's henpecked girlfriend. Or maybe hand-pecking girlfriend. I don't know. But you get to a point where it's nice to see these four characters in action. You just wish the story was it's more a little successful. Bit, it, it's longer and more complex than it needs to be, is what my final mm-hmm. thought was. Because it's like they're going on and trying to capture these these three shrubberies that they need to get. Uh, and come back and foil the plot and figure out who's behind this. But it's... I don't know. It just feels like there's not enough... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's not enough fear. There's not enough of a motive. Tension, suspense. Yeah, there's there's nothing there that really makes them say, okay, we'll do this. They're the members of the Legion. Throw up your giant uh, monster projection, have those guys freak out a little bit, and then take them down with your punches and your whammies and all the other things. You know, throw up a a nightshade around everybody and uh, take them out. It, it really was a lot more complex than it needed to be, and I just didn't care for it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's not a terrible story, but it's one of those things that is badly served by its placement because we've just had two really good yeah. lead stories in a row, and we get this only sort of okay backup that is such a mismatch with the mm-hmm. first half that it feels, you know, you know what they say, a C- minus is only bad if you're used to an A. Yeah. And I think this story is a C minus. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't have a problem with let's see what happens when the Legionnaires uh, go out um, for girls night. I have no problem with that. In fact, one of the best episodes of the Batman and Superman uh, animated series is girls night out where Batgirl and Supergirl uh, team up to go fight crime. And I think they go up against, if I'm not mistaken, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn and probably um, Roxy Rocket, I think, and maybe even Livewire in, in that and so it's Roxy Rocket. And it's like a really great episode and I love every minute of it. And I and I really like seeing the Legion members going out and letting their hair down, putting on some nice clothes and going right. out and having personal lives. That's one of the other things that I like is when we learn a little bit more about their personal lives as opposed to oh suddenly they're smooching and how did that happen? I like it when we get to go to who's at Jim's uh, parents' house and Jim's uh, dad's a gambling alcoholic or isn't it? Isn't that who it is? Is is that Tenzel's dad? Oh, Tenzel's dad. Yeah. yeah, 
and, or, Jim's or that dad was is just poor. a dude. Yeah, somebody's poor, and that's why he had to join the Legion. And so it's just like, yeah, I like that kind of stuff. That stuff really yeah. rocks. So them going out to a dinner date is totally cool. Them punching some bad guys in the in the mouth and having to say, well, I guess our job is never ending is fine. As complex and drawn out as the story is, didn't need to be that way. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you so much to all of the new listeners that we have been garnering over the last uh, couple of months. I certainly appreciate it. If you would, go over to uh, the iTunes and leave us some reviews over there. Even better, share this episode with a friend. Let's get some more people hooked. Let's bring some more people into our clubhouse. We're not even going to make them try out because... Everybody has the same superpower here. You're all fans of the Legion Clubhouse. So we're going to welcome you all right here. But before we go, Matthew, what did we learn this week? We learned that even when the universe is in great peril and they need every hand they can get, Tyrock is still on detached leave. I think we also learned that Wolverine would make an awesome Legion member. And we learned that a floating brain is just creepy. Thank you so much for checking us out this week. We will be back next time to talk more earth war but until then i am standing on the corner guy and i'm the waco kid the legion clubhouse is a production of major spoilers entertainment llc and is produced by steven schleicher your hosts were matthew peterson and steven schleicher you can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Stephen at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.